Good evening. I want to welcome you here on this good Friday evening. I'm so thankful for this graphic visual here. The blood ran down. I was in a meeting this week and there was a young man, we were talking about Good Friday and Easter and he said about Good Friday, we were asking about it and he said, and I think I asked the question, well, what do we celebrate on Friday? And he said, I think it's Happy Friday or something. And I thought, well, he's in the ballpark. It isn't Happy Friday, but it is Good Friday. And there's a very significant difference in those two things. I know we can't wait for Easter, and we love to celebrate the resurrection, and you hear the phrase all the time, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And that is definitely true. We're going to celebrate a lot on Sunday. But before Sunday, we had to go, th- we got to go through Friday. I mean, this thing that we talk about, this event that we talk about tonight changes everything or it changes nothing. <clears throat> We've titled this series between last Sunday and tonight and this coming Sunday, The Sovereign Savior. Jason Brownlee used a phrase this last week that I really like, Sovereign Savior, Suffering King. I think that's accurate. He's both. And that's kind of what causes confusion and, frankly, some frustration on many people's parts. We kind of like the Savior part. We kind of like the suffering part because, at least at some level, we seem to know that that's what it took to redeem us. But dealing with Jesus as he is, not how we want him to be, is what causes us to chafe just a bit at times, isn't it? We kind of want Jesus to do things our way. And in fact, as we were talking about this in another setting this week, this is nuts. The cross makes no sense. It's not rational. The truth is, it's supra-rational. It's beyond what we could comprehend. Last Sunday, we considered the events of Palm Sunday and There were a variety of responses to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Worship and shouts of, save us, Hosanna, from the crowds who apparently wanted Jesus to save them, but didn't really have a clue what that meant. It was downright antagonism from the religious leaders who were sure they didn't need saving. They had it under control. And perhaps there was excitement or anticipation or confusion from the disciples, but during the week, those responses either changed or were heightened. In John chapter 12, we heard the shouts of the crowd in verses 12 and 13. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to him, meet him crying, Hosanna. Save us, Savior. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And just a few short days later, John 19, we read, Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him and 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. And when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. It's interesting, on one end of the spectrum, they're screaming, Save us. And on the other end, they're screaming, Crucify him, and they're the exact same prayer. Because in order to save them, he had to let them crucify him. This entire story is filled with irony because everything that happens is, looks like it's totally out of control and Jesus is a helpless victim. And yet, as you read between the lines, every nuance is under his sovereign control. The suffering king is the Lord to, as he is the Savior, and everything is as it has been orchestrated since eternity past. However, everyone missed that he was in control, because I guess they thought they were. Pilate certainly thought he was in control. <laughs> Jesus corrected him. So did the people. They just had no clue. In Luke 23, we read that one of the criminals who was crucified with Jesus cried out on the cross, Are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and save us. What he was really asking for was being saved from pain, being saved from the life that he had developed on his own. But he didn't really understand that he was asking for a real shallow form of salvation. If Jesus gave him what he was asking for, he could never get him what he needed. He couldn't do both. Jesus couldn't save them and save himself. He couldn't save the world and save himself. He couldn't save us and save himself. He had to give himself up in order to save us. And the only one who knew that at that very moment was God himself. God the Father who sent his Son for this moment. God the Son who came to die in order to save. God the Holy Spirit who was involved in all of what was going on throughout eternity and all of Jesus' earthly life. This is indeed a God moment, what we celebrate tonight. This is perhaps... The God moment of all eternity. It's the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus had explained it to his closest followers, the guy we, guys we call his disciples or his apostles at the Last Supper. In Luke 22, 19 to 22, it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave, him, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given... For you, Do this in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup 
that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You probably know that the Lord's Supper was initiated in the context of the Passover meal, and it was a graphic illustration. It was an illustration that Jesus was the perfect Passover lamb. He was the one to which the Passover pointed. Both the event of the Passover in Egypt and the celebration that was a reminder of it. Jesus was the culmination of all that Israel was promised and anticipated, and he came for one primary purpose. He didn't come to be a good example. He was. He didn't come to be a great teacher. He was. But he came to shed his blood because that was the only way to save us. It's the only way to save us from the tyranny of sin, both from the consequences of sin, which is separation from God, both now and for eternity. By the way, we can talk a lot about heaven and hell, but the scripture doesn't tell us a lot about either one of them, except that hell ultimately is separation from God. And it's also to save us from the control of sin, which is self-absorption. The ultimate sin is making ourselves our own God. It's an endless spiral and a never-ending pit that never satisfies. And the cost of that salvation was enormous. I, I, I love looking at that. I didn't know this was happening until I walked in today and I was like, wowzer, what a picture. The blood flowing down for us. We tend to say salvation is free. It is indeed for those who receive the gift of salvation, but it's tremendously costly for the one who purchased the gift, is it not? I'm going to take some time, and if we go over time, I'll just blame it on the worship team. I'm going to read a significant portion of Matthew 27. If you want to follow along, it's great. It's pretty dark, so just listen, maybe. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? <clears throat> Jesus said, You've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer. Not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Messiah or Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. 
Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what do you want me to do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourselves! Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He can't even save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he delivers him, if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top 
the bottom. And the earth shook. And the rocks split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. So what we remember here tonight is an eternal and it's an unavoidable truth. Jesus said it of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that statement is true, then what we remember tonight is that Jesus was and is the sovereign king who became the suffering savior of his volition on our behalf. Because it really was the only way to save him. I was thinking of the words of an old hymn after I saw the auditorium today. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain. I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thones compose so rich a crown? Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. We could not and we cannot save ourselves. And a righteous and holy God could not simply overlook sin. That is the only possible solution. And so with communion we remember and we celebrate that story that reality, that grace. So Paul gave instructions to one of the churches in the first century in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, about this remembrance, this holy, somber celebration. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says this, starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we cannot be condemned along with the world. What Paul is saying is, This celebration, this remembrance is solemn. Our sin costs God his son. It costs Jesus his life. So we don't want to play fast and loose with this. We don't want to just say, oh, no big deal. Life's the same. The cross bids us to come and die, to say, Lord, I owe all to you. You gave your all for me. I owe all to you. So if you're here tonight and you've never really submitted your life to Christ, do yourselves a favor. And that is either submit to him because this is true. Or continue to say, I, I, I don't believe it or I don't want it. But don't make a mockery of it. Just adds to the problem. If you're here and you haven't been walking with the Lord, in some ways that's making a mockery of his body and blood too, isn't it? We're not following him. Whatever the reasons or whatever the area. (laughs) We read in 1 John, which we have been studying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to Forgive us our sins and cleanse cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As long as we hold on to our sins, we're enslaved by them. Jesus says, confess them. And I'll forgive you. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. No other God or religion promises that. It's the cross and his shed blood which wash us clean. So tonight, as we remember, I want us to remember, I want to take time and think through the crucifixion account, the cost, the whole saga of Christianity. All of the Old Testament is pointed to this moment. And this moment declares eternity. As we celebrate communion, we're going to welcome you to come. We're going to have elders and some of their wives at the various tables. You can go when you're ready. Our worship team is going to sing one song after I pray, and so you can sit through that, or you can begin to participate during that song, whatever is your wish. I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about what Jesus did and why and who he was.
And then when you're ready, go to a table. If you want to go as families or with someone else, the guys at the table, the wives will serve you. We want to remember together two things. One is it is his body and blood that cleanse us individually. But it cleanses us corporately. We all stand condemned first and then forgiven at the foot of the cross if we but accept what he has done. Guys, if you would come to the tables and then I will pray. Father, We can take this so lightly. Communion can be old hat, and we can look forward to Easter so much that we blow right through Good Friday. It's not Happy Friday. It was a horrible day. But it's a Good Friday. It was a Good Friday. Because the reality purchased our salvation. Father, help us in all that we do to focus on this event in all that we do. This changes everything. And may we allow it to include changing us in every way. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the sorrow. Thank you for your grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and it's not just the name, it's in who he is and what he has done that we gratefully pray. <laughs>